Heads up, small business leaders, you're listening to My Quest for the Best, where published experts share relevant stories for inspiration and tools for transformation to unlock your growth potential. We release a new episode every week to help you navigate your managing and leadership challenges, so subscribe to stay up to date. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and more for your convenience. Let's dive into this week's episode. Hi, I'm Christy Ashwanden, author of Good to Go. You're listening to My Quest for the Best. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Christy Ashwanden. Christy is the author of Good to Go, what the athlete in all of us can learn from the strange science of recovery and co-host of Emerging Form, a podcast about the creative process. She's the former science lead writer at 538 and was previously a health columnist for the Washington Post. Christy's a frequent contributor to the New York Times, and her work appears in dozens of publications, including Discover, Slate, Consumer Reports, Men's Journal, NPR.org, Smithsonian, and O, the Oprah Magazine. Christy lives in Western Colorado and is here to share insights from her book, Good to Go. Welcome, Christy. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so good to have you. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Yeah, I would have to say my mom has always been a huge influence on me. She really taught me that I could be anything I wanted to be and do anything, accomplish anything I set my mind to. And she was just such a supporter of me and my work from the beginning. And I realized now that I'm an adult that she really instilled the sense of of possibility for me. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this this um, concept um, in psychology about growth mindset and fixed mindset, um, but the concept is that some people, um, yeah. So um, yeah, and I feel like my mom just really fixed in me a growth mindset and this uh, ability, you know, this belief in my own capacity and my own potential to grow and to learn and to achieve the things that I wanted to do. So I'm really grateful to her for that. Can you remember something that she would say that helped develop this mindset in you? Or was it more of her actions that conveyed it? I think it was a combination of both. It was probably mostly actions and just seeing, um, I grew up in the military. My mom was a military spouse, which made it um, pretty difficult for her to pursue a career. And yet she did, and it wasn't always easy for her, but she really sort of set an example for me and and how to achieve great things um, while having constraints on her. You know, we moved around a lot and that makes it hard switching jobs all the time, but she managed to build a really uh, wonderful and successful career in business. She was a, a business leader. And so I think just seeing her do that and seeing her persist and achieve uh, great things set a, set a good example and showed me that I could do the same. Christy, looking back, what's one decision you made when you're in high school or college that's contributed significantly to your career trajectory now? Oh, that's a great question. I would say um, one one decision that really was influential is I decided in high school to take this class in anatomy and physiology, which is it was a popular uh, course in my high school. The teacher was really really good, and but I wasn't I, at that point I hadn't really become a science nerd yet. But taking that class really got me excited about science and about about medicine, and that was something that really influenced me. At that point, I decided I wanted to be a doctor, and 
I ended up deciding, you know, even before I went to college that that wasn't quite what I wanted to do, but it set me down this road of being interested in science and, and really um, sort of fostered my interest and, and set me down a road. What makes you so passionate about the topic and science of recovery? Um, it's something that um, affects every athlete. It's a really important topic, recovery itself. Um, but I, I'll just say that my book, Good to Go, is really at its core. It's a book about science and the scientific method and the scientific process. And it's, it's kind of investigating this question of how do we know what we know? How do we know if a product or an approach works? And, and what does that look like? And how can we be sure that you know, what we're doing is the best way? And so that's really um, you know, probably my strongest interest here is really in understanding you know, how we, we gain knowledge and how we understand the world around us. That came across really clearly. I remember the experiment you designed or, mm -hmm. or that you worked in function with to design um, to, to to test whether um how muscles were depleted by working three days in a row and you had you were part of the group of cyclists that came in to do that and you reflected after the experiment gosh you know i don't know if this is really getting at the things we needed to measure can can you summarize that for for me yeah, this is a really important point, and I think it's something, it's a, a recurring theme throughout the book, and that is uh, it's pretty easy to set up experiments or to set up, you know, um, investigations to measure things. And this is true not just in science, but also in the business realm, you know, when you're trying to look at, you know, are, are the things you're doing succeeding? Are we getting what we're looking for out of an approach to something? Um, but it's so often the case that you go to measure something, you, you have a question, and the first sort of problem that you run into is you have to decide, how are we going to measure this? So in this case, um, we were looking at whether beer, it was sort of answering the question, is beer the, the perfect recovery uh, beverage, you know, after, after workout drink? And so that seemed like a pretty straightforward question, but it turned out, um, you know, we were trying to look at how beer might affect recovery. But the first problem that we ran into is how do you define recovery? What do we mean by this? And how are we going to measure it? And what can end up happening very easily is you pick a measure, you start start to look at something, and it turns out that that measure is not really getting at the thing that really matters in real life, and it's not really answering the question. And so I think the the, the important insight here is that it's much easier to get a result than it is to get an answer. And this is something that I really try and keep in mind now when I'm looking at studies that are claiming to show some truth about things is, you know, what were they measuring? And is that really a good measure of the thing that we really care about? Well, that's a terrific way to frame it so that people can adopt that sort of questioning in evaluating the own the, the results that they create in their own work. I remember also from reading that, that you would come up with an initial conclusion that beer helped women recover faster or more effectively than it did men. And yeah. that was an exciting point to run with, but you still pursued it to really get down to the truth of the matter, which turned out it really didn't um, work as effectively. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And I think this gets at another important issue, which is that we're all primed to want to believe that, you know, first of all, that we're doing great work and making great discoveries. We want, you know, we want to learn new things and we want to feel like whatever we're doing is effective. 
but we're also, this is just very natural. We have these human biases to want to see certain things. I mean, I was sort of primed. I love beer. I like drinking it after I run. And so I was really primed to believe that, you know, science was going to show that this was the best thing to do. And so when I got this result in the study, you know, it was like, wow, this is great, perfect. Let's run with it. Um, so it took a little bit of work and a little bit of pushing back against you know, my own human bias that we all have to say, wait a second, how could this be wrong? And is this really reliable? And I think that one of the most important questions that anyone can ask themselves when they're you know, trying to solve a problem or, or looking for an answer like this is how could I be wrong? You know, I've, I've come up with this answer, but what are the things that I'm certain about and what are the aspects in which I have less certainty? And where are the things, what are the things that might possibly be wrong and, and how can I test those and how can I sort of interrogate whether, you know, I'm blind to some, some other thing that I might be paying, I should be paying attention to. So in your experience, what do business leaders who compete as triathletes, cyclists, runners, mutters, or members of basketball, soccer, mm-hmm. or tennis leagues outside of work struggle with? in the area of recovery. And let me just also mention as a, a footnote that if you're waiting for me to call out golfing, it's not going to happen today because there's, where there's no exertion, there's no need for recovery. I know a lot of business leaders fascinated with golf, but it's not really the topic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to take on the question of whether, whether golf is an, exert, an exerting sport, but I will say that, um, you know, one thing that's really occurred to me as I've been out on book tour, um, you know, talking about good to go is that so many of the principles here about recovery for athleticism also apply to just sort of, um, you know, I want to almost say like career training, but like all of the things that high powered business leaders will experience in, in their everyday lives, things like business travel, um, you know, this this sort of um, pressure to be working all of the time. And I think, you know, the book has a whole chapter about overtraining. And I think that that is sort of relevant to work as well. You can think of overtraining as a version of overworking. And at some point, um, you know, your efficiency and your effectiveness really drop off. And so you may be working 16 hours a day, but your productivity may actually be far less than if you were taking some time off, time out in every day to recuperate and to recover and to not be thinking about work and to be you know, really refreshing. And I think that, you know, that goes for both physical exertion as well as emotional and cognitive exertion as well. And it's really um, come home to me, you know, while I was uh, on tour, I, I had something like 20 stops on my book tour. I'm just finishing up now. And, you know, it was so much travel. And I really found myself putting the principles in the book to work just in the business travel. Things like, okay, I need to prioritize sleep if I'm going to be on, you know, I'm, I'm having to stand up before people and perform and, and really be at the top of my game, you know, not in sport, but in you know, answering questions and being able to talk about this stuff. And so that meant that I needed to um, do things like avoid really, really early morning starts if I, if I could, um, make sure that I was in bed and had enough time to get sleep, um, thinking about eating well, but also just, you know, I'm on the road, I'm giving, I mean, there were some, some days where I was giving multiple talks in one day, and then just being sure that I was giving myself some downtime and some time to refresh and to, you know, not be talking to people 24-7, because that's just mm-hmm. exhausting. And so, you know, this is so similar to the things that an athlete needs to do. You know, it's like an NBA star um, being on the road during, you know, the, their very rigorous schedule. Um, 
during those times when they're not playing, they need they need to take naps, which are very popular in the NBA, and they they need to have some time doing things that that is not sport. Christy, um, going on the road for book tour is a, a different activity. It's a specialized activity. Mm-hmm. What are some of the ways that you structure your day-to-day work as a writer in order to build in um, some of the advantages of, of cyclical recovery and rest and changing ideas in order to keep yourself being able to uh, perform well and um, during your, your regular work? Yeah, I love that question. Um, One of the things that I do is I try and work sort of in blocks of time. And so I know, so I'll just give you an example. Today, I have three media interviews. This is the first one. And so I know that I'm going to be talking to people. Um, You know, I'm going to be sort of cognitively engaged and that's great. Um, And so I have some pockets of time in between this, this one and the next one. Um, and actually have a meeting in between (laughs) anyway, but, but making sure that, um, you know, when I'm doing one kind of task that can be, um, really sometimes exhausting of that thing. So if I'm doing a lot of, of interviews or a lot of meetings in one day, I'll make sure that those, those times in between I'm doing something that's of a different type because I may have more energy available than to do some writing or to do some research, something that's a little bit different. So it's like having a full day that's just meetings is much more sort of taxing and tiring than having a day where you have some meetings interspersed with some other types of work. Um, the other thing, you know, as a writer, I do a lot of work that requires very deep focus. And so when I'm doing that, so for instance, when I'm working on a first draft of a story, um, this is something that was true while I was working on the book, I would give myself, you know, I would schedule on my calendar, um, you know, periods of time of between sometimes matter of hours, a whole morning. Sometimes it was just an hour. Sometimes it was even shorter, but where I turned off all distraction and it was just focusing on the task at hand. And this is kind of, you know, I, I like to joke sometimes that I'm doing writing intervals. You know, when you're an athlete, yeah. you'll do this. And now it's often called HIT for high intensity interval training, but where you're you know, pushing yourself really hard and then you take a little rest and then you push yourself really hard. Well, I, I tend to do this um, with my writing too, particularly when I'm working on something that's sort of difficult. I'll set a timer and I'll, you know, write as hard as I can for 20 minutes, an hour, depending on what I'm doing. And then I'll take a little break um, to do something mindless and then I'll do another bout. And I found that that's a really effective tool for getting a lot of work done. Mm-hmm. Consistency and familiarity is important with people who are performing. Um, and, and I can't think of um, a more high stakes arena than the Olympics. Yeah. And eating unfamiliar foods can be risky for athletes prior yeah. to or between events. Um, take us through the, the benefit that Usain Bolt found in snacking on chicken nuggets at the 2008 <laughs> Olympics in Beijing. Um, did he? Did one of the fastest athletes in the world really eat a thousand chunks of chicken over a ten-day span while achieving three gold medals? He did. He did. Um, you know, he, he writes about it in his memoir. He was seen eating, you know, at the McDonald's there in the Olympic Village. And here, I think um, the important concept to think about is what is it that's most important in influencing his performance at the Olympics there? And so much of this, you know, first of all, it's talent, right? Like he is the fastest man alive, so he needed to be on top of his game. 
Um, but he had he came to the to the Olympics with the talent, but also the preparation. And so it's not just the things that he did that day of the race or of those races that he did to get those medals, but it was all the preparation that went in ahead of time. And then on race day and during competition, he really needed to focus on giving himself, you know, the tools that he needed, the support he needed to feel prepared and to feel confident on the starting line. And so in that respect, um, you know, what he's eating that day is probably a lot less important than making sure, you know, the, the sort of, uh, let me think about how I want to say this. So the exact nutrient content of what he's eating is probably a little less important than making sure that he feels confident that he's well prepared and he's, you know, fueling his workout. His body is just burning fuel like crazy at this point because he's performing at a really high level. He's doing multiple bouts of exercise in short order. And so his body is just really, really hungry for fuel. And being able to get something, you know, in this case, he turned to the chicken nuggets because they were a food that was familiar to him. Um, it was something that he knew he could digest and he would feel physically well eating this stuff. And so, you know, I don't think that he went home and continued to eat chicken nuggets every day and nothing <laughs> else. But for the short period of time, you know, the priority was to have that confidence and to have that preparation and to avoid eating strange and unfamiliar foods um, that might, you know, not do well with his digestive system. And so sometimes just having familiarity surrounding you can be you know, a really good sort of security blanket, but it might actually be the, the right choice. And here, you know, it's hard to argue that it wasn't. <laughs> right. So it's really a denominator um, mm -hmm. issue, isn't it? If, if someone has, you know, 2,000 days of eating well, um, having a little bit of something that's offered different in the minutes or hours of the day of the event probably isn't going to throw it off so long as it's familiar. But if he hadn't been eating well or if his, the balance of his eating had not been um, on eating effective and nutritious foods that would fuel his body and give him the ability to perform, that would have led to a problem. That's right. Yeah. And I, I don't think the takeaway here is like, go eat chicken nuggets. They're going to make you win yeah. gold medals. It's that, you know, on that day, he, need to, he needed to figure out what he needed to support his performances. And what, what he needed was to feel confident about how he was feeling and that he was getting enough calories. And, you know, the, the stuff that he was eating wasn't ideal, but it had sufficient calories. It had sufficient protein and all of the things that he needed. And so, you know, it worked. And so I think sometimes the other, the other lesson here is that sometimes we spend so much energy and attention just paying attention to the wrong things. I mean, he could have uh, really spent, you know, you developed a lot of stress trying to find exactly the right meal that he was going to have in between these events. And the fact that he just decided to do something where he could say, okay, I don't need to worry about this, you know, reducing stress is really important in these situations. And this is an effective way of doing that. Oh, you know, that, that explanation really opens up how much energy goes into making a decision and whether it's an appropriate decision, whether it's what food can I easily eat that's going to nourish me, even if it's not ideal versus yeah. over, um, over stressing over a decision as to, you know, how to decorate a conference room when really what needs to happen is, is you need to get something in there that's functional and maybe add to it right. later or delegate that decision. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, an important uh, lesson here is that you need to decide what are the things that are worth stressing about? You know, where am I going to put my attention? I mean, your attention is your most important and most valuable currency. And so you need to be really careful about how you spend it. And the, the danger here is that you end up spending that currency on things that don't matter and on things that don't pay off in the long run. So you need to really, and, and this is universal, you know, both for athletes, but also for business leaders. You know, one of the things, you know, sometimes there are things that just should be delegated and you can do that and that will reduce the stress in your life. And, and you know, one of the big takeaways from my book is that, you know, you really need to have a way of reducing and managing stress in your life. If you're a business leader, you're going to have certain stresses that are just inherent in your job. And so the goal here isn't to eliminate those stresses, but the goal is to find ways to manage them and to handle them. And this is one reason I really recommend that not just athletes, but anyone find some sort of daily ritual for managing stress and, and sort of checking out from all of the things in, in one's life that are stressful. You know, for me, um, one of my rituals is just my daily walk with my dog up the hill. You know, I turn my phone off, don't take it with me, um, you know, walk up the hill. I'm just outside sort of connecting uh, with my place and turning off all of those distractions. And it's a really important way of, of you know, reminding myself that uh, it's not all about worker training. So part of the science that came out of um, one of the chapters of your book was the four to one carb to protein ratio for effective um, recovery. And this was uh, first published by Robert Portman and John Ivey at University of Texas. How important was that research that came out in 1998? And what are the implications for it for how we um, choose to eat things after um, exercising. Yeah, so this is really important and it was cutting edge at the time. And this is an example of how, you know, science is an iterative process. We're often sort of um, a little bit wrong on the way to being right. And what happened was some initial studies um, made it seem as though there was this really important, um, as often called the as recovery window or the, the anabolic window. And so the idea was that it was really, really important to eat something and particularly some protein um, immediately following exercise. And so the idea was that your body was better capable of absorbing it and it was sort of extra ready to do that. And that if you could get these calories and this protein in during that time, you could enhance recovery. But in subsequent studies, and as the researchers continued to sort of explore this issue, what they realized is that it wasn't the timing that was so important. It was the content. So it was not that protein wasn't important. It, it definitely is. But it's just as good and perhaps even better to be getting that protein, you know, in smaller doses throughout the day rather than feeling like you have to you know, drink this giant protein shake, you know, 20 minutes after your workout. And so I think this is another example of looking at, are we measuring the right thing? Are we looking at this in the right way? Are we paying attention to the right thing? So here they're paying so much attention to the timing of this that it, it initially wasn't obvious that it was actually sort of the contents of, of this you know, recovery stuff rather than the exact timing. And I think context was also a really important point in that study because it was mattered more for people who were going to be competing again, either later that day or the next day, versus people who just competed and then had a longer window to recover from. Is that right? 
Yeah, so that wasn't in that particular study. They they were sort of the front runners in this, um, you know, in, in helping to popularize this idea of the protein or the recovery window, excuse me. Um, but yeah, so what has, you know, where this does still apply is that if you are going to exercise again in a very short order, we're talking about, you know, Usain Bolt in between, um, you know, prelims and finals, uh, say at the Olympics or something like that, where it's really, we're talking hours, not days. If you're not working out again until the next day, you're, you're fine. You don't need to eat anything right away. Um, but if you are doing something where, you know, you're depleting your fuel supplies, you're going to be competing again, then yeah, sure. Timing matters, but that's not the, the context under, you know, under which most of us um, exercise, even people who are doing it pretty seriously, you know, you do your workout and then your next workout isn't coming until the next day. True, true. Um, so what's the story behind the fight to ban peanut butter and jelly from the Garden State Warriors locker room? <laughs> yeah. Um, so <laughs> peanut butter and jelly sandwiches apparently are very popular among NBA players. And I can understand why. I mean, they're delicious and they're great snacks. I have been eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for most of my life. They're still one of my favorite go-to snacks. And they're something that kind of, um, you know, travel well you can take them on a hike or a run something like that um but at some point someone decided that there was too much sugar in that jelly and you know if the bread wasn't the right type it was you know uh you know too much carbs or something like that and you know this is just sort of ridiculous these guys are exercising so hard um you know they're really burning a lot of fuel and if they want to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, they can probably, well, the person who was sort of behind this is no longer working for the team. We'll just say that. <laughs> True. So um, are you ready for my quest for the best lightning round? Sure. All right. So based on your research, um, rank the uh, following things that you can drink in the order from best to worst as a recovery drink. Okay. Um, Gatorade, coconut water, and chocolate milk? Uh, chocolate milk is number one. Uh, Gatorade and coconut milk, or coconut water, I'm sorry, are not as good as water, probably. <laughs> so water would go ahead of those? Um, possibly. I mean, look, it depends. Really, what, what you can do is drink water and eat some food, and you'll get... There's an idea out there that you need electrolytes, and they have to be in a drink. Um, electrolytes are just salts. We get them in our food all the time. You don't need to have them in a drink. All right. So for the next couple, um, are these effective, ineffective? It depends on the circumstance or the jury is still out for post-workout recovery. Okay. Um, icing, a, a non-specific injury. Ineffective. Um, apple cider vinegar. Um, ineffective. Hard foam rollers for hip and leg stretches. Oh, that's a good one. Jury is still out. This is an area of a lot of, of research right now. And sleep, sufficient sleep. Oh my gosh. It is the most effective recovery tool known to science. And it's built in. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, what would you say is the easiest or least expensive change you've made in your personal or professional life in the last six months that's had the biggest payoff, Christy? In the last six months? I think I would just say um, that I've 
I've sort of outlawed early morning uh, plane flights and travel. Um, I've really said, nope, I'm not, I'm not going to do that because it means I don't get enough sleep. And it's worked. So as someone who is always working on writing um, new articles or books, um, do you have a tool or system that you use for staying on track and productive? Yeah, I do. I actually have a tool that I really love and it's hilarious because it's kind of like it, they used to have a video online. It seemed like it was like from the 1970s or something, but I use this planner called the planner pad, which I love. It's like a, a day timer sort of thing, but it has this, they call it the funnel system. It's a really good way. If you're someone like me, who's keeping track of like 20 things at once, it has a system where you can kind of keep track of everything and sort of, um, also filter it down into a daily schedule, um, but it's a way of sort of managing my anxiety that I might be missing something or might be forgetting something. And so it's been a system that I really like. It's on, on paper. I know a lot of people now um, really like timers, you know, day planners and things like that on their phones or apps. And I do use a calendar um, and that's how, and I use reminders to make sure that I don't meet, miss meetings and interviews and things like that. So the combination of those two things, but I really like just paper lists. I, for some reason, I like writing things down. Um, the one problem is that my handwriting is terrible. And so sometimes I'll look at an item on my list and can't read it. And so sometimes I'll just cross it off thinking if I can't remember, it must not be important. Yet you still get the benefit of the relaxation, knowing you've written it down. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, one thing that occurs to me too, though, is just, you know, deciding what I'm going to, you know, pay attention to on a daily basis and sort of prioritizing. So at the be beginning of every day, I also sort of um, make stars or somehow highlight, make sure that there, I have identified the, the really important thing that needs to get done that day. And I guess one insight that didn't come in the last six months, but it's something that's come, you know, in the last few years is that I realized mm -hmm. that I was just expecting too much of myself and my, my to-do lists were too long and I wasn't getting them done. And so my insight is this, if you're regularly not getting your, your to-do list done, it probably means that you're putting too much on it. And so the way to manage that, I mean, is not to sleep less. It's to figure out, okay, which of these tasks can I delegate or what do I need to do in order to make my workday more manageable? Because, you know, it's just not sustainable to always have that. And it also creates stress. I mean, I don't like the, the feeling at the end of the day of having 20 things on the list that aren't crossed off. And so, you know, making myself be more realistic, um, that's just really reduced my stress too. Good for you. I totally relate to that. I used to make uh, amb big ambitious lists and think that I was going to accomplish it that day. And one of the biggest changes for me is just crossing off daily to do and making it weekly to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and that, that rhythm just works. Absolutely. Uh, I, I agree. And it's interesting, you know, I have in the book a couple of people who are CEOs of, of companies in Silicon Valley and uh, looking at how they manage things. And it's interesting. There's a story in the book about two um, guys who were uh, Ironman uh, world champions in their age group. Um, and they did it on completely different training. One guy trained like substantially more than the other one. And what it came down to was they, they had to train 
um, to the extent that they could fit it in their schedule and to the extent that it was manageable and they were able to recover from it. And it turned out that, you know, the, the one guy didn't have as much time to devote to training, but by being really smart and really measured in how he, he did that, he was able to make the same, um, you know, achieve the same accomplishment. And so I think the lesson here is that we always think that more is better, but sometimes, you know, doing less is the most important thing that you can do. And I think that that's really something that I've changed in my own life is really, you know, deciding that I don't have to do it all and making priorities and making sure that I'm balancing other things in my life so that I'm, I'm not always feeling overextended. That's a terrific point, Christy, and, and well put. Um, when you think about some of the other misconceptions about the science of recovery among active business people who aren't professional athletes, mm -hmm. such as listeners of the show who are ambitious and competitive outside the offices they are in at work, what are one or two tips that everyone ought to consider and see how it might apply to their lives? Yeah, I think um, so much of the stuff that's now out there for recovery, and there's this idea that recovery is a product that you can buy or that they're, you know, we, we have this, this notion that it's something that we can monetize somehow or that we can buy ourselves. Like, I, oh, I, I was at um, one of my book talks, someone raised his hand and he said, okay, so you said sleep's the most important thing, but like, if you can't do sleep, what can I do? Is there an app? It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think this instinct that there's something that you can buy or download that's going to help you, that's the wrong instinct. And so much of this is really sold to us through this notion that our bodies are in this really precarious state and we're just like one weird trick away from being our idealized self. But in fact, our bodies are really, really resilient and they're able to handle a lot of stresses and, and different environmental conditions. And, you know, as you say, Bolt's chicken nugget story shows, you know, we're, we're capable of handling, you know, weird things sometimes. And so, you know, it goes back to paying attention to the right things, which is the basics, getting enough sleep, you know, eating overall a healthy diet, taking those rest days when you need them. I mean, I think that's another really important point. And this goes over to the business world and the world of work as well, that sometimes you just need a day off. And I'm really deliberate. I try very, very hard to have at least one day on the weekend where I'm not getting online. I'm not, you know, uh, tied to my phone and all of this, where you're just really unplugging. You need that time to refresh. That's how you rejuvenate. That's how you come back to work on Monday, ready to give it your best, or you get, get to the race, ready to perform at your best. You, know, you need that downtime. And at some level, you know, recovery is really rest and relaxation. And that seems to be a, a rare thing in our society these days. And I, I think we need to bring it back. Well, Christy, you've shared so many great ideas with us today on my quest for the best. Everything from how the recovery effects that every athlete use follows the scientific method and process and how we can apply that in our business and our personal lives, as well as our athletic lives. Um, understanding the importance of biases when we come and reach a conclusion or achieve an outcome for an experiment we did and asking the question, how could I be wrong? So that you can actually test and interrogate that conclusion to make sure that it will be, it will hold water. Reminding us how important it is to figure out what work rhythm is effective for us individually. And if it's working in blocks of time, then create your calendar in order to do that. And if it means, you know, following schedules that are similar to the high intensity um, training method, 
by all means, that's something that could work. Reminding us to pay attention to the right things and not the wrong things because attention is the most valuable currency um, that you've pointed out and and emphasized so well. Um, I loved how you talked about how science is an iterative process and sometimes we arrive at conclusions that we later amend and supplement based upon later findings. And then the final reminder of how we all need time to unplug and refresh so we can come back to the game um, at our best. I just want to thank you so much for sharing all this and more on my quest for the best. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Say, Christy, before you go, could you tell us uh, where we could find out more about you and your work and then we'll um, say goodbye. Sure. So you can find out about my book on www.goodtogobook.com. That has all the details and ordering information. Um, also, my, my book tour schedule, although I'm, I'm wrapping up the, the tail end of that right now. Um, my website is my name, christyashwanden.com. Um, I see I'll put this in the, the show notes. And then my yes. podcast is called Emerging Form, and it's about the creative process. Um, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts or at emergingform.com. Um, and it was interesting. I think it's really relevant to anyone who's working in a profession um, or in a business that involves innovation or any kind of creative um, creativity. And so, yeah, I hope that people will check that out as well. Well, fabulous. Um, Christy Ashwanden, author of Good To Go, What the Athlete and All of Us Can Learn from the Science of Recovery. Thank you so much for joining us on my quest for the best. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.